Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking, what an awesome way for us to begin our worship today. Uh, not only with uh, Angie and Lance's voices behind what we just saw and witnessed with our eyes, but the testimony of baptism with the energy and faith of a child. God bless you. And to the entire family and to Justin for what a happy day. This is so cool. And I'm so happy that we could share this with you. Um, and to all of those joining us online, wherever you're making your connection, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, Church Online, Hospital Rooms, Living Rooms, wherever you find yourself, we worship a God who owns this space. And um, whether you're physical or digital, on-site or online, we welcome God to fill this space. And not just the space where we're, where we're seated, but this space right here as we give testimony to his love for us and find encouragement from being in each other's presence online and on-site today. Um, as I was gathered with a group of men this morning for over 25 years on Sunset Drive property, we meet. Now we're meeting separated from one another now, but we're still meeting and praying. And this morning, as one of the men prayed, he highlighted how God specializes in the impossible, and it prompted a memory for me that maybe would serve you today. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and He can do what no one else can do. We're praying that in your space today, you would welcome God's miracle presence and that His touch would mean the difference for you. Now, we enter into His gates with thanksgiving once again, but we also enter in to the lost and found department of the Bible, Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells some of His most famous stories and some of our most favorite ones, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin or treasure, and um, the prodigal son. Last week, we explored the question, how far is far from God, and we saw that every story offered an answer for that. For instance, sometimes people get far from God like sheep that, were, that have no purpose. Aimless and just following appetites can leave us lost and at risk like a sheep without a shepherd. Secondly, we get lost. Sometimes we're far from God uh, like a displaced treasure, like a stone that fell out of a ring, or like a coin that got brushed off of a desk, and we feel out of circulation and useless and worthless, and um, as if our circumstances are keeping us from adding value to life. Sometimes we feel lost like that, and then sometimes we're far from God on purpose, by deliberate choice. That's the third story. We choose to live as if God is dead and, uh, and as if we're our own God, like a rebellious child who has, uh, is so full of himself, self-absorbed, self-indulgent, this is the story of the two sons, self-indulgent like the younger brother, or self-righteous like the older brother, but both of them are full of themselves and far from the Father. Sometimes we're far from God in that way. If you've ever wondered, how can you tell you're far from God? Well, those are the indicators. Those are like symptoms for the spiritual condition Jesus calls lost. 
far from God. Now, if somebody, if somebody today were to pull you off to the side privately and were to whisper to you that, you know, I'm having chills, I'm having fever, um, I'm having a hard time getting my breath, I feel fatigued, got a headache, and I can't really taste or smell anything, what would you tell them? Now, I don't know what you'd tell them, but I, I, I know what I'd tell them. I said, hey, you know, maybe you should go get checked out, uh, like for COVID-19. And they said, no way, because those, those sound like symptoms that tons of people who have been hospitalized across Dade County have shown. No way, man, I don't believe in that. Okay, well, you may not believe in it, but those symptoms sound very familiar to what hospitalized patients are facing right now. And by the way, um, if not treated, these symptoms can be fatal. In fact, sometimes even when they are treated, they're fatal. I'm just saying, if, you were, if somebody were to pull you off to the side and you were to have a little talk with them, what would you say? As a matter of fact, I, counted, I, I saw the county coroner's report this morning before service, 3,753 people have not come back from these symptoms. Now, this may be a controversial illustration. I'll give you that. And somebody may be upset that I'm even bringing it up. But I got to tell you, the topic of today's talk is even more controversial, which is why I'm bringing it up. Here's the bottom line. If being far from God goes untreated, those symptoms, the outcome is not good. I mean, you don't want to go there. The Apostle Paul who committed his life to helping people experience God's life, just cut right to it. His diagnosis was this about us. Everyone has sinned. We're all symptomatic. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard below the health line, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin, if these symptoms go untreated, then the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So in other words, we all show the symptoms that he's talking about of sin, and sin left untreated is fatal. It's, it, it can kill you. The, Jesus said it this way. If that was Paul, then what did Jesus say? Jesus said the highway to hell is broad, and its gate wide. The many who choose that way find it wide. Jesus said, Jesus said this, not, <laughs> this is not some manipulating, judgmental, Bible-thumping preacher like me. This is Jesus doing the talking, and here's what he said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Would you say that's controversial? This is a controversial thing. Jesus says, if I'm getting this right, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that how you read that? Many will say to me on that day, this is Jesus talking, that day is that final day of reckoning, that final day of accountability that, that the Bible writers call judgment day. Lord, Lord, on that day, many are going to say, but Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and didn't we work miracles in your name? I mean, these are like super religious people. And what does Jesus say back to them? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I would say that's a little bit more controversial than COVID-19. 
And yet all through the New Testament, and from Jesus himself, we read about this thing called Judgment Day and are told that it's coming. It's not a very popular topic, I'll grant you that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Even Jesus warned that these far-from-God symptoms left untreated will have eternal consequences. That's why he's telling the stories, actually. Now, don't tune me out, please. Don't shut this down. Don't think, don't say, oh, I can't believe Bill's going to go all judgmental on us today. You know, the irony in our world is like everybody's saying these days, don't judge me. And, uh, and then at the same time, they go ahead and judge others. I mean, even the people that say don't judge me, judge people for judging people. What's that? You know, what, where does that come from? Here's my answer. The bottom line reason to me is that we are moral people. And though we may differ in categories of where judgments are made, you know what? Most people have deep convictions that some things are right and some things are not. And, and, and some things are just wrong. That's called moral perspective. Now, why do we have that? Because we are made in the image of a moral God. And what that means is, what does morality mean? Moral means that we know that choices have consequences. We know that responsibility is part of our humanity. That's what that means. When we say moral, what does that mean? It means that, that, that this is a core to who we are as people. That's why it continues to show up in culture. Some people think if you remove the idea of judgment, then you're going to set people free from fear and taboo, and what actually happens is we make people less than human. When you deny someone the responsibility for their actions, you're actually denying a person their personhood. Because responsibility is an essential part of our humanity. Responsibility says you matter. You have weight, you have influence, you have impact, you have substance, you have gravitas. Your decisions make a difference. That's what that means. That, and accountability, follow, see if you agree with my thinking here. Accountability is the way we affirm responsibility. And responsibility is the way we affirm empowerment, authority, choice, and freedom. You can't have them without each other. So, holding people responsible for their choices makes them and us more human, not less. And we see that in today's question on these stories. Last week, we, said, we asked, how far is far from God? This week, how sought is sought by God? When God seeks you out, how far does He go? See, God already knows people are far from Him. And uh, that's why Jesus is telling these stories. Because God doesn't want anybody to stay far away from Him. God doesn't want anybody to be lost to Him. And I want to show you in the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, and the words of Peter. And so for us to see this, I'm going to put the words on the screen and invite you, wherever you're joining us, everybody take a breath and then let's speak these words out so we can hear them around us. Right now, this is the word of Jesus. Ready? Your Father in heaven isn't willing that any of these little ones be, yes, should perish. And then how about the Apostle Paul? This is in 1 Timothy 2.4 to a, 
a pastor that he's wanting to lead others. Ready? Here we go. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then how about Peter, Jesus' right-hand man? Here's what he wrote. God is not, everybody ready? Here we go. God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want to lose anybody. By the way, repentance means a change of mind. It means a change of heart. It means a change of direction. If you've been going away from God, far from God, when you're far from God, then to repent means you're just turning around and getting closer to God. You're willing to have a change, a change of direction on the inside and the outside. So, but here's the question for today. How far will God go if you're among the missing? If you're one of those far from God, you show symptoms of this malady. Whether or not you believe it or feel it or say, hey, it's not even a thing. But if this is Jesus' word to us, these are some indicators that you are far from God. We just talked about them. Now, if you're far from God, then how far will God go to get you back if he doesn't want to lose anybody? Is there an amber alert that, you know, he signals to let... Is there an all, does he put out an APB, an all-points bulletin? Is there a list somewhere that has everybody's name on it of the, that are missing in action, that are like POWs, that are far away because they've been taken captive? You know, when disaster strikes, either in an earthquake or a mine collapse or a child falls down a well, you know, and we see those stories on the news, and it never fails to move me seeing how no expense is spared to, uh, to get the survivor out alive, if at all possible. Well, the stories in Luke 15, God's lost and found department, are showing Jesus saying, God will spare no expense to reach those and receive those who are far from him. So just remember with me for a second. You know, the shepherd, Jesus said he leaves the 99 to search for the one until he finds it. Now, this sounds radical to me. Think about it for a second. You know, who leaves 99% of their assets at risk while they go retrieve one outlier? What kind of sense is that? But that's what Jesus just said. The shepherd doesn't leave the sheep in a secure corral he uh, safe from predators on the prowl. Here's what he exactly says, Luke 15, 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open field, the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he notes, when he notes it's like when the shepherd sees that one sheep is missing, he realizes that time is of the essence, the clock is ticking, one is about to be lost, and he places it all on the line to save the one. So it's like, man, I can't get them back to the corral, but I'm going to take the flock to the middle of the country so at least they can see when danger is coming and be there to guide and guard one another in community. But i got to go get this one. The point is he, makes, he lays it all on the line in order to save one, and he does it because time is of the essence. That's what God has done in Christ for you. I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. For every person who is lost or far from God, he is the shepherd who puts it all on the line to find one, you, the one that's lost. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
No one takes it from me. But I lay it down in my own accord. So the good shepherd puts it all on the line, even his own life, to retrieve the one that is lost. Second story. Jesus tells about a woman who lost a precious coin. This is of tremendous sentimental value. This is a irreplaceable, like a stone in your wedding or engagement setting. You know, the stone is now missing. I performed a COVID wedding yesterday. It was a beautiful experience, and the stone was big, and of course we were distanced and masked and all of that. But, you know, you can imagine, oh my goodness, if you lose the stone in your ring, you're going to be upset about it. That's what the story is about. This woman, it says she, she loses this precious treasure of sentimental value. It's irreplaceable, and so she turns the house upside down. Jesus says, doesn't she light a lamp? Turn the lights on, sweep the house, and then search carefully until she finds it. This is a picture of God literally turning the house, his house upside down, inside out, moving mountains, heaven and earth, to find the precious missing treasure. You are that treasure. Me. I'm that treasure. Those of us who have ever been far from God or may find yourself far from God right now, this is the emotion behind it in Christ. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. No, a sheep can't find its way back. Uh, a stone can't reattach itself to a ring. Somebody else has got to do that. Jesus is saying God does that for us. And he, he lights the lamp and he sweeps the house and searches carefully. I've done that before. You know, I can remember digging through vacuum cleaner dust and all that hair and, you know, spider webs and that, you know, dead bug guts and all that other stuff that's down inside a vacuum cleaner looking for a stone because it was precious. This is the picture here. Jesus says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. God turns the lights on in the world by bringing His Son in the presence of Christ and then through His body, the church, sweeps, has been sweeping the world for centuries in search of lost treasures, seeking so that whosoever will may come. It's not hard to imagine a frantic woman Desperate to find her treasure, doing everything she can. You can just see her on her knees, you know, upending all the furniture, going through the couch, the cushions, um, through the cracks, trying to find, desperate to find her treasure, um, going through the trash. You ever done this? I mean, yeah, I've been in the trash can, going through piece by piece, yucky, nasty, dirty. Nothing is too much, though. It's like whatever it takes, I'm in until we find the treasure. Nothing is too dirty. Nothing is too humility, humiliating. This is God in search of us. God has humbled himself in Christ to enter the house that he made for us as one of us. The world and everything in it was made for human beings and God enters into this world of lost humans as a human to come to the rescue. He humbles himself and, and as a human he enters the world and he shows up in the most questionable places. He visits the diseased. He washes feet. He's bloodied. He's beaten. It's a nasty scene. He's stripped. He endures betrayal and 
and is dirtied by the nasty injustice and cruelty of his assassins. But even in the darkest corner of that house, when he is hanging on a cross, he has not lost sight of the precious treasure that he's come to rescue. What does Jesus say in the dark on that day? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is it possible that you may not be fully aware of what you're doing either? And that God is trying to break through into the mess that you find yourself in. And then what did Jesus say? From the cross, in the dark, in the mess, He says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Trying to get Him out and get Him up. Once again, Jesus shows that God brings full passion to His search and will spare no effort to reach and recover His lost treasure. These are amazing stories. But the third one, when his rebellious and wayward child has deliberately wished him dead and then taken his father's wealth, headed for the far country, as far as he could get away from home, the father doesn't go after him. Did you notice that in the story? I mean, the shepherd goes after the sheep. The woman turns everything upside down to find the treasure. But the dad... I mean, every emotion is on alert for that woman, but, but the father makes no move. What's going on? You ever wondered? Have you ever wondered if it's possible to be so far from God that you are too far gone? Too far gone to be reached, too far gone to be recovered, so far gone that God won't make a move to get you back. I'm asking you, why, why? What's going on here? Can you be so far gone that God won't waste any more time or effort on you? Or maybe I could ask it this way. Have you ever thought that about somebody else? Oh, Uncle so-and-so. Yeah, he's it's in God's hands. Too far gone for me to try. And we think sometimes, you know, is it possible to be so far from God that you can be too far, and even God will just let you go. You know, Jesus, Paul, and Peter all speak about people being far from God. And when it comes to the last days, way far gone. Can I share with you some of the things they said? Real briefly, Jesus in Matthew 24 says this, at that time, meaning the time of the end, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets, false teachers will appear. They'll deceive many people. Look at this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, majority, will grow cold. So this is like scary. This, this is real. Jesus is saying that deception and wickedness, lies will be told, hypocrites will teach, they'll be misleading people left and right, and as wickedness goes up and to the right, people's hearts will be growing cold and they're getting farther and farther from God. Is that what you see there? Paul says this to a young pastor, Timothy. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits, liars, 
teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. And they will say, it's wrong to be married. It's wrong to eat certain foods. So it's a new kind of license and legalism at the same time. Marriage is now somehow wrong and only certain foods are the right ones to eat. And these are rules that are being made by people who reject God and then judge others for not following their rules. What about Peter? What did he say? I want to remind you in the last days, 2 Peter 3, 3, that scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires. These are like sheep that follow their appetites and go wherever they take them. And they will say, hey, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? To them, it's all make-believe. And they deliberately forget that God is creator, that God will one day hold all human beings made in his image to accountability, moral accountability. Peter says that God destroyed the ancient world with a mighty flood and the present heaven and earth, quote, are being kept for the day of judgment when the ungodly will be destroyed. Bad. There's coming a day when every godless word, every godless deed will be called into account and then the righteous judge, not a flawed human one, a righteous judge, Jesus will deliver verdict and issue sentence. And something that will be very plain to everybody who is standing there on that day is that we're in trouble, we cannot save ourselves, and apart from God, we're suddenly all going to realize we're lost. And uh, just as Jesus taught in these stories, how lost? Well, some were lost by nature. Our appetites lead us astray, and we don't want to admit it. But we can't help it unless a shepherd comes to find us. And some are lost by circumstance. We're lost to value, to meaning. We, we uh, feel like we've been cast aside, and we're out of circulation, and we can't find our place in this world unless somebody comes looking for us, turns the light on. So God turns the lights on, comes as the light of the world, and says, I don't want you in the dark. And then we're also lost by choice. We can get ourselves into messes that we can't fix by ourselves. It's hard to say, but it's true, isn't it? And then the Father doesn't come and get us. You ever realize that? You ever heard somebody say, man, where's God in all this mess? Why hasn't he come to help me out if he loves me so much? And I think in the story, the answer is this. God is waiting to see as the Father if we're ever going to come to our moment of truth. Because there's a place in the story where uh, the son, after he willfully has rebelled and then wasted all of his father's money and now has hit hard times and though he tries to make things work, isn't able to. He winds up feeding pigs and starving until verse 17. Look at this. When he came to his senses. Maybe God's just waiting for us to come to our senses. Then he said, ah, I'm going to set out, go back to my father. That means I'm going to change direction. I've been going this way, it's not working. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go back home. 
I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned. I've blown it. I've failed. I've messed up. I can't fix it against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you just hire me on? Could you put me on payroll? You got anything around here I could do? So he got up and he went to his father. Now we're going to find out what happens next week at the close of that story. But why didn't the father go after the son? That's the question. I think because when you're lost by choice, until you're ready to make a different choice, nothing's going to change. See, the door to the Father's house is never closed. Always open. But the door of the Son's life is slammed shut on the Father. And so when the door is locked from the inside, you're the only one who can open it. Because that human autonomy, that authority, that responsibility, that ability to make a choice and let others feel the gravitas of it is part of God's image in you. Your choices matter. So when the door's locked on the inside, you're the only one that can open it. And here's what we all know. Not God and everybody else who loves you can't help until you're ready. I mean, they can try. They can try to shepherd you away from that dangerous cliff and get you back with the flock. They can try to turn on every light in the house and try to help you see what next step to take, but nobody can make you, right? Nobody can force you. They and you both know they can't make you, and God will not. That's what the story is saying. God will not force you against your will. God will wait and see if you're ever going to learn that you can't save yourself. that you, <laughs> And when that, you come to your senses, you know what? You can still choose to go home. You may not be able to save yourself, but you can choose to get in the Father's house and let yourself be found. Now, may I ask you something? I said I've officiated some COVID weddings. I've also officiated funerals during this season. And I ask you, when you die, what are you going to do? Are you big enough to stop that by yourself? Big enough to face that, handle it by yourself? I'm not. When you die and you stand before God, if there's a God, if there is a God who has given us life and creation and all of this amazing gifts of family and love and presence and challenge and the freedom of choice to experience the consequences that have wreaked havoc in our history if there's a God and you're standing before God what are you going to do are you big enough in yourself to stand before holy God or will you be among the number that finally realizes whoa I'm not God I need help You don't have to wait until that day to make the decision. If you come to your senses, you can make it today. You, you can see that God has done something in Christ to bring help within reach. But if you don't choose, then you lose. If the symptoms go untreated, then they will have their way. But if you take the medicine, 
Ah, sometimes medicine is tough to swallow. Your doctor may even tell you, this isn't going to taste good. Or there'll be a slight pinch. But then you're, they say, but this will work. You'll get better. So if you take your medicine, then life will come. This is the same offer that Jesus makes um, in John chapter 1. As many as receive him, that means take the medicine God has provided. To those who believe in his name, what is that? That's by faith I believe that it's going to do what the doctor said. Just like when you take a prescription and you take it, you follow the instructions, it's going to do what it does, but only if you take it. So I receive the medicine because I believe it's going to work. And then as a result, look what happens. He gave the right to become children of God. I'm no longer far away. There's a place for me at the table. I'm in the Father's house. He's got me in his grip forever. Have you taken the medicine? Would you pray with me? Maybe you're thinking of someone now. You're, you're saying, oh, thank you, God, you've come so far for me. Thank you for the day that I received Christ as my Savior and trusted him. Thank you, Lord. But maybe there's somebody else in your life, a loved one, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, and they're on your mind right now, and you just want to pray, God, would you help open their eyes, help them sense and feel your love, help them know what you've done to make a way for them to know you the way that you long for them too. Would you pray for them now? But perhaps somebody's checking us out today online or on site and you've realized, whoa, I feel like that. Like my appetites are driving my life. Like I don't really have a purpose to get up in the morning. I'm missing meaning because circumstances have cast me aside. And I've willfully been resisting God. I've even wished that there were no God, that God was dead. If any of those symptoms sound familiar, then this is a moment for you to take some medicine. Do you know that God has done everything in Christ he can to help you step back from the cliff, to help you find your way out of that dark hole? It's not up to you, but he can shine the light, he can show the way, and then when you choose to come to your senses, you can say, I'm going to go to the Father's house. That's not saying I can, I can save myself. That's just saying I can turn my heart toward home. You can do that right now. Just turn your heart toward God. God, I turn my heart toward you. If you love me this way, if you have done all these things in order to reverse the damage of my being far from you so that your life can come alive in me, then I'm open to that. I want to come home to that right now. And then you can offer this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Thank you that on the cross you took my penalty as your own and that when you rose from the dead, now your spirit can come alive in me. I open the doors of my life and invite you to come in and make yourself at home. I'm turning from my way to go your way and invite you now to lead me. And I thank you 
that you have heard and answered my prayer as I make it in your name. Amen.